Fuquan is a note investor and house flipper in northern New Jersey who has flipped over 250 full gut rehabs and purchased over $100 million in principal loan balance. On today's episode, he's going to tell us how he got to where he is today against all odds. Also, why he believes it is important to start teaching your children the real estate business no matter what age they are. His insight will show you how you can start helping your children follow in your successful footsteps. Let's just get right down to business. The Joe Robert Show. This, this is The Joe Robert Show. The Joe Robert Show. The Joe Robert Show. Fuquan, tell us uh, a little bit of background your inform- about yourself. Yeah, so like you said, I'm from the hood. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up in the low-income housing area. Um, everybody has a story, right? Yeah. Um, you know, adversity brings growth. I mean, I'm I'm actually grateful for that situation. Um, going through that and having a little bit of street knowledge, um, and then I worked in corporate America also. So just just well rounded with that. Um, I left my corporate job uh, back in like '99. I started writing on the wall. Had a cousin of mine that was into real estate, flipping properties, making you know almost my salary at the time, a little bit less than that, and um, in a short period of time. So, like I said, I sort of right on the wall and made the transition uh, into real estate. I mean, it was tough coming up. And, um, you know, like I said, I'm grateful for that foundation. I was raised in an Islamic community, so there was a lot of discipline. And uh, that really is that stayed with me for, you know, till now. And, um, you know, just surrounding yourself around the right people and being in the right circles is what really takes you to the next level. You know, putting into action what you learn. Uh, when I first started off in 99, uh, within, I would say, the first six months, I, it was it was tough because I had to go and learn everything from the very beginning, right? And I was more on the mortgage side of it because my older brother was into uh, he was a mortgage broker, and he would you know teach me things about the business and how to uh, write loans and everything else. And I didn't want to get into it because I was like, you got to wait 30 days to get paid. I'm getting a paycheck every week. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to wait 30 days. And he was saying, it's all about building a pipeline. And they all fall like dominoes. And I was like, I'm not doing it, bro. So uh, I, I was learning as as I was going along. And then when I started to shadow my cousin, he was on the other side. He was doing the rehabs, managing construction, fixing the properties. So I kind of meshed the two together. And I said, hey, you know what? I'm going to teach people you know, how to qualify for loans, people in the hood, you know, how do you qualify for loan? You work, you, if you have a certain DTI, you can qualify and get a house and you don't have to rent. So I started doing that um, in a community, some grassroots stuff. And, and that really worked out because then I had buyers lists of qualified people. And I just had to match the two, um, you know, and find you know, a realtor who had properties or investor who had properties. And that was it. It just went off from there, you know? So growing up, I mean, what was it like for yourself, you know, through school and high school? What were, what were you doing at that point? Oh, it's good. I mean, or what, yeah, what for sure. Activities? <laughs> I was running track. I still run today. Um, I ran track. I played ball earlier on and uh, I started to run track and I saw that I, w- I was able to excel in that long distance. It was really my specialty. And, um, you know, I, I used to run. Uh, they had these races in Newark where I'm from. Uh, every year where the community come together, they're running two mile, four mile, 10 mile and stuff like that. It was called the North uh, Long Distance Run. And I used to look forward to that every year. But I ran track in high school, uh, went to university high. And, um, you know, basically, I would say towards I was 11th grade, 12th grade, I kind of knew that, you know, from the environment that I came from, that, you know, my back was against the wall. And 
I always wanted more than just like a nine to five, right? So when I went to corporate America, I've always been in sales. I guess my brother was in sales, doing mortgage business. I was in telecommunications sales and I always had the gift of gap. You know, I was always, you know, good in talking and, and sales and everything else. So I started off in sales actually from, from school and excelled into that. I went out to California. Um, my company moved me out there because I was doing really well. And I talk about some of this in my book um, that I have out the last book that I wrote and um, they made me a director of sales over there. And I kind of turned the whole company around and started driving a lot of income um, to the company back to the East coast until they shut down and brought me back. And then I just worked customer service and I got into websites and I got into computer uh, technology, still all in sales. Yep. And, um, the last job I had was, um, and I was really good at it, but I felt bad. It was, I was working for a computer, system repair company. We had 120,000 square foot facility and we would do repairs down to the microchip level. They call it the fruit, fill replaceable unit or whatever. And I landed an account with Sony Lowe's, those digital touch screens that you see uh, at the kiosk or whatever. And at, at the time I was making like a base of 85 plus commission that brought me to like 130,000. That's a lot of money then, right? Yeah, I was like 23. I mean, I was like 24. <laughs> and um, I remember the two guys who owned the company they took me out to lunch and it was like, how did you land this account? How did you do it? So I used to go to the SEC website and I used to look for companies who were hurting on their financials. And I would call them up and say, hey, listen, we got 120,000 square foot facility. I know you got technicians. You know, if you was able to unfortunately lay off those people and sold that real estate, your bottom line, your balance sheet look better and we can make those repairs cheaper. So I would get them to come to our facility tour. It took me a few months to land the account. But I would land multiple accounts and they kind of sort of strategy I was using. It was like, wow. So it was like, well, we didn't know you was going to land this account. You know, we got to change your your compensation package. And they lowered my base uh, down to 50. And uh, and it was basically I was in, getting over 100. So I was really salty over that. And at the same time, my cousin, like I said, was doing real estate. And I kind of started shadowing him. And that's when I transitioned from sales into real estate. And then uh, I haven't turned back. I haven't the sales job. Now. I mean, making that kind of money. What what were you doing with the, that capital? Oh, I was partying. In <laughs> your mid twenties, yeah, twenty four was partying, champagnes, bottles, Moet. <laughs> so, so what advice Cars. you got to the guys in their twenties now that are making that kind of money? What, what would you have done differently? Uh, Did, definitely, if I if I had the right people around me and and I had you know understood financial literacy and and that was uh, in given to me when I was younger from, from other family members, which of course, you know, growing up in those circumstances is not really about, you know, now it may be a little different, but back then it wasn't really people teaching about financial literacy. It was yeah. a survival, right? So, um, you know, I would definitely say, you know, learn about financial literacy is a very important, I mean, you're going to have fun too to balance it out, but you know, you want to make sure that you're investing into things and, um, you know, that's really the advice that I would give. That's the advice I give my kids. You know, if you're going to make a dollar, you're going to come with me and make some money. You know, you know, they know they're not going to get the whole 100 percent. They know they're going to get a certain percentage and the rest is going to so it's going to go into the IRA or it's going to go into an investment account. So you know, it's important to be able to split it up. Now, do you think uh, from all the running and that you did in school, do you think that helped with self-discipline or, you know, your health to where you are today? Oh, for sure. I mean, habits are important, right? So I developed a habit to push myself um, and I was obsessed with running and they're pretty much everything that I 
have a passion for, I become obsessed with obsessed with it, like real estate. So, um, you know, I was very passionate for for running. And like I said, I still do it to this day. It does create that discipline. Uh, you know, you're you only grow your business only grow to the extent that you do. And I always say that your inner is your outer. So the more you take care of yourself, the more you will be able to develop and, and grow the things outside of you. Well, let's hit on what we were just saying about uh, bringing the kids in, because I don't think many people, I don't see that talked about much online. And so that, that I think that'd be an interesting topic here. What what are the things that uh, you're doing right now to set your kids up or to educate them? Yeah, so we actually have, of course, is real estate because that's what I do all day, every day. Um, the note thing is a little bit tough to teach them because uh, they have to really understand a little bit more. But bricks and mortar is, is pretty simple. They get the concept. Like my 17 year old now is, you know, he's coming out with me more. Uh, last summer I had to kidnap him. He got his license. So I got him a little car. I was like, hey, I want to pay you to be my driver. I need you to drive me around to these properties. And that was my way of tricking him to come out into the field and, you know, see how I move and the things I do. And I was like, hey, I want you to record this. And, and he actually does a lot of the film work for me. And that's how I get him to come out to learn, you know, by tricking him that way and saying, well, I hope you don't see the video, but by, <laughs> by tricking him and say, hey, you know, come out and make some money, you know, and, and he's listening to the conversation that I'm having. He's looking at when I go and meet realtors and I'm putting deals on the contract or if I'm, you know, dealing with the wholesaler, how I'm negotiating, he's picking these things up. And I know it's working because now when he comes with me, he bring a pad yep. and he start taking questions and he start asking those. Last week it was funny. He was like, hey, what's the difference between a B class and C class area? And why would you invest in a C plus class area where most of our portfolio was at versus an A class area? So we started going through that whole thing. So he's starting to learn. And then I saw a few books from my shelf over here missing on real estate. So I was like, okay. So he's picking up one of my younger one. He's interested in real estate more than the older one. And um, he's, he's 12. He's actually turned 12 in two days. And, uh, you know, I teach them about IRAs and setting up retirement accounts for the future. They both have Roth IRAs. Uh, you know, my 12 year old, when he was in the fourth grade, I set up a Roth for him uh, a few years ago. And uh, he was the only one in his class with a Roth IRA. Yeah. <laughs> the teacher had one. And he was in there bragging, like, I just set up my Roth IRA and everything. So, I mean, these are the things that I'm teaching them um, and just planting the seeds, not force feeding them. Just planting the seeds. And what I would do earlier on is, um, you know, if I had like rent checks come in or certain things come in, I'll kind of leave a few laying around. And I'll, oh, what's all what's that? Well, those are rent checks. This is how we got the income. Well, let me let me get let me get half of that. So, well, this is how it works. You know, you get this expenses and everything else. And I take out a sheet of paper and break it down and say, okay, we might have got this check for twelve hundred, but after it's all said and done, it's only four hundred left, and the other eight hundred went here. So just basic stuff. That's how I teach them. I always feel like there's a gap between teaching your kids something and the kids actually listening to the parents until they learn it on their own. How, how, what do you find that's most beneficial, you know, to closing that gap to them actually believing you? Well, put them into motion. Really, yeah. like I said, my 17 year old, he comes with me now and he brings his pad and he's like, hey, we got a few pieces together, but of course I did all the work. And he was like, hey, you know, I'm, you know, I'm graduating next year. I want to have my first flip under my belt before I graduate. And um, he was like, I want to do a flip this summer. And I'm like, okay, I see the writing on the wall. He wanted to do a flip, make like 30,000. So next when he turned 18, he'd be like, okay, I'm out. I got my money. So, but you know, it's um, put it into action, basically, you know, let them go out in the field and, and kind of, hey, we own this property. Let's go to the closing together. Let's go through the signing document, 
process. Go ahead, just putting everything into action, I think is a bet, a good way. Because I don't like the force feed them stuff. They're never gonna retain retain it if you're trying to force it. But I just plant and seeds and let it in by action, by my actions. They see, you know. Now do you do any uh how do you teach any finances, bank accounts, manage money? Do you do anything there? Yeah, with my it? with my seventeen he has a high school account. And my younger one, he has an account also, but he hasn't really gotten there yet. My older one is basically learning. Uh, he had a, he did work a couple of jobs here and there, and just learning how to manage the money and keep track of everything he's spending. Like I would say, hey, take a notepad and just be conscious of everything you spend, write it down. You know, just keep track of it. That way, you're getting into the habit of managing your accounting. So just little things. You know, I send YouTube videos, uh, things that he would be able to digest and understand on his level. That's good. That's good. Now, and you have two kids. Yep, two kids. And tell us more about your family household. Yeah. So I mean, I, I my mom actually, wow, my mom actually has been with me now, 2012. Yeah, almost eight years now. I have my mom with me, and then also have custody of my uh, six year old niece. Um, that is 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 a blessing, really, to be able to you know support and take care of the family. I mean, my mom took care of me since I was younger, so. Reciprocity is definitely, you know, a fact, you know, something I definitely had to put into play and pay homage. But it's a blessing. I mean, having, you know, my mom around, it's like uh, I have custody of my two boys, so she gets to be like a mother figure to them. And uh, their mom's still still in their life also. But um, yeah, it's 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 a lot of different energies, I can tell you. <laughs> well, how, how does one father, you know, manage the whole household like that and you know, uh, still be out there acquiring lots of real estate, doing mortgage loans, going to masterminds, speaking engagements, while everybody else is sitting at home saying they're busy, right? <laughs> I mean, and you exercise, right? So That's easy. That's how, easy. How, how do you do it all? How do you fit it? You know, well, it's, it's habits, really. Yeah. Um, you know, I start my day, well, I start my day a little later now that this uh, coronavirus thing come up, but I usually start my day around 3.30. Now I'm actually waking up at five and I'm like, wow, I feel like I'm getting a late start. Um, but you know, before a month ago, cause I, I would get up early cause my kids have to go to school early, but now I'm homeschooling starts at 10. So, you know, usually I, I start my day around three 30 and I spend really the first uh, three hours just working on myself, whether it's journaling, uh, writing my goals down, saying my goals, uh, yoga, meditation, reading, you know, organize, you know, go over what I have to do for the day, set my time blocks and then execute. Right. Everything is an execution, really. And I have a checklist, actually. I have a checklist and I have seven days a week of things that I must do every single day. And I keep myself accountable um, and everything else is just scheduled. I may have virtual assistants that help me stay on track and um, you know, tools and systems that you know keep me accountable. So and it's not easy. It's, it's so, not easy. So keep it simple, stupid weekly checklist that create great habits and holding yourself accountable. Yeah, it was a right. daily, a daily, daily. checklist of things I need to do, but then I have like an Excel sheet for the week. So I'll, I have it here. Where <laughs> things that I do, and then basically it, it goes along across the week. Got it. Um, you know, stuff like 15-minute yoga, 24-minute meditation, read for 20 minutes, work out at this time, wake up at this time, stuff like that. So I kind of keep myself accountable and see how I did for the week. If I stayed on track, if I was off track, what I need to improve on. And it's just creating those good habits. It's not easy, you know? And, and actually a friend of mine, 
she was like, oh, you just need to be a little bit more spontaneous. That's a little bit too much. Like, you know, too much. <laughs> I was like, no, nah, I kind of, I got it. I need that, you know? Yeah. So let's roll, go back into your, you know, the sales role. You're leaving the sales role, right? Um, because they reduced your income, correct? Yep. And so from there, what did you do? Well, I went into real estate. I, I jumped out the window and grew wings flying down, as Les Brown would say. Uh, you know, I shadowed my cousin and, and he had did a deal. And like I said, it made a little bit more than half my salary. I was intrigued by that. So I actually started to shadow him. And, and lo and behold, in a few months, I had a deal. I made like $60,000 off of that. And, uh, you know, I blew it in uh, four or five months. I remember going through the Garden State Park where at the time the toll was like 35 cents. And I didn't even have the money to pay the toll, man. 60000 and four, four or five months later, it was all gone. And I was like, what the hell happened? And I just like, you know, bought a car and, you know, moved into a fancy place and all this high design and stuff. It was just stupid. And from that point on, it was, it was you know, a real awakening after going through that toll booth, you know, scraping together the pennies and everything else and running the toll booth. I was just like, wow, I got to get myself together. It's, um, you know, it's a shame. So I started to, from that point on, put different things in place. And then when I would close, I would take a certain percentage of the money and put it in reserves and pretty much go from there. And then I started to get around older people in the real estate business and started to ask them questions. And I share my experience with them and they were telling me, hey, you know, this game is ups and downs. You always have to plan for the future, you know? And still, it was took me a long time to listen. I wasn't doing 100% of what I was supposed to do, but I was in a better position where I was able, you know, nothing wrong with punching the clock so i don't want to put anybody down that's working but i was able not to you know run my own business since uh you know for 20 years now so on that on that first deal where did where did you find it i mean how'd you source it and how'd you get the money for it man i mean like uh, if you if you were spending all your sales money on partying i'm sure you didn't have nothing left for the deal yeah so back then it was about being creative and it's funny because I, I own a property uh right across the street from where i did my first deal and this summer i, I acquired a property through a tax sale and um i showed my son we went to the property i was like dude that's the first property i purchased and it's on my facebook feed too and um this property was like thirty thousand dollars and this investor that i knew he had he had probably a couple of hundred properties this kid domingo older guy he's like a hundred now he's still in the business it's amazing and um he what he would do strategically is he would buy properties cash and then he would say okay i'm going to give you this property i'm going to deed it over to you but i'm going to put a mortgage on it for fifty thousand. that's the deal he did with me right uh no he, no i got it for thirty thousand. so whatever it was he put a mortgage on it for you know thirty thousand dollars he probably got the property for ten thousand whatever but he would do yeah. multiple deals like that where he would say, hey, I'm going to deed over to you. I'm going to put a mortgage on it for 80. So when you close, you give me 80. Maybe he paid 50 for it. Um, and I was, you know, at the time, like, oh, great. I own the property. Let me go do my thing. Um, and then basically the structure he used, I'm not an accountant to give an accountant advice, but the way he was doing it, the loan was getting paid off at closing. So I don't know how he was doing accounting on his end to evade, uh, to avoid certain taxes or whatever strategy he used. But, um, you know, that's that's how I would do it. I mean, I, I already had somebody who qualified and I you know, had the property. And then the trick was getting somebody to put up the construction money. So, you know, I would find people to partner and I would put up some of my own money to do the construction. And uh, back then, the values are like one hundred and twenty thousand. It wasn't like as much as they are now. So you would make thirty five, forty thousand dollars on a property 
uh, and it was no seasoning FHA or you need 30 days worth of seasoning, then you can go ahead and, and sell the property. So it was a different world, um, different lending and everything else. And then I would say what really transitioned was um, as I started to build my buyers list and, and found, uh, you know, more investors, things just turned around from there. The biggest transition for me was I had did a closing one time. I was probably after about 30 closings that I did. And um, one of the uh, investors that used to give me properties, the lawyer had made a mistake and sent me their closing package. It was a deal we did together. And the, it was the same property address. Yeah. So when I opened up the closing package, it had the payoff information to the lender who lent them the money to buy the property. And I was like, oh, they were in New York. So I said, well, what if I actually, that's when we had the little floppy disk. I said, I'm going to take all my HUDs from all my transactions. I'm going to put it on a floppy disk. I'm going to type something up, put executive summary together, and I'm going to mail a package to these to these lenders and tell them, you know, can they loan me money? Because they was lending this lender millions of dollars. And I was like, okay, I'm the one who's really selling all of the properties. So what if I actually got, you know, because I would always ask them, hey, you know, can you put me in contact with the lender? And back then everybody was, you know, nobody's sharing information. Nobody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that package came to me and when I opened it up, it had the payoff information. So I sent um, uh, a package to the lender and right away they gave me a million dollars. They was like, oh, you you were the person who's selling these properties? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So and, uh, for $50,000, I got a uh, million dollars line of credit. And uh, that was it. That was all she wrote from there. That was probably uh, 2003. 2000, it was around 2002. Mid okay, 2002. Around there. Mm -hmm. Somewhere around there. All right. Maybe that's, earlier, uh, maybe earlier, if I can remember. Yeah, I know. <laughs> when, we start, when we start getting to 20 years, it, it, start, uh, it starts getting a little fuzzy thinking about uh, that long ago, you know? Yeah, yeah. I was I would say actually 2002 because I actually got shot in 2001. Like, I came into business in 99. Yeah. Quick story about that. And then probably like eight months into the business, I, um, I had an office and, uh, you know, me and my cousin, we had an office and basically we were helping people in the community, uh, hiring local help and everything else. And we would pay cash. So people kind of knew what it was. And, you know, unfortunately I was set up and, you know, I was shot five times. I made it through. I was only in the hospital for like 10 days and I spent the next six months at home. Um, that year, I did probably 34, I did like 34 sales that year. Um, and then uh, it was from, it was in March of 2001. So, yep, in the beginning of 2002 was when I started that first quarter, uh, connected with the new investor, and then we did that close, and then I got the package. So, yeah, it was the beginning of 2002, somewhere around so Times have definitely changed, <clears throat> but how, do, how does one protect themselves in the area they're doing business or, you know, uh, so they don't get shot? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's I mean that's tough. I mean now uh, I, I'm still doing business in that same area. Yeah. I'm still doing business in that same area, and um, I actually went last summer and kind of shot some footage, uh, you know, where I grew up at, and you know where I got shot at, and all the other stuff. And I was trying to put something together to kind of tell my backstory for the launch of my book, but it didn't get done on time. Maybe one day I release the footage, but um, I, I mean, you know, being it's all around, it's all about who you associate yourself with. So I have a lot of respect in the community. Uh, because of what I do in a community and the value that I add. Um, and I don't, I don't, I mean, it's okay to have fear, but it's not good to let fear have you. So, you know, I, I go in these areas uh, just knowing that I'm adding value and I'm, I'm 
making it better, putting properties back on the tax roll and everything else. So I don't really have that fear, like if I was from the street. So if I had like, you know, beef with somebody or whatever the case is, I just go and, and do what I do. You know? but I'm sure you're not carrying around briefcase of cash these days, no, like not. like the old days, huh? <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> Everyone had to take briefcase of cash to the county sales and everything. You know, like you need cash. You're like walking in there with pockets of cash coming out. Your, you know, what? Um, Knocking on the door, collecting rents. So on the on the deal, like no money down. How you know for all those that are trying to get started and everyone touts no money down for real estate? Any opinion on where people? investors that want to get started can find guys like you found that maybe would do owner finance or something like that, where they pick up deals and they have the ability to get in and do the work themselves and have no money down. I mean, it's possible. I'm not going to say it's not possible. I mean, it's pretty tough, but it's possible. If you find a motivated seller, um, you know, you, you got to have some type of earnest money in a deal. Um, I can't think of the last deal that I did recently where it was like no money out of pocket. Yeah. The somebody was trying to give away the property. Um, you know, it's, it's tough. You know, I'll just be honest with you. You got to have some type of earnest money or you got to be cutting that person in on a deal, you know, at the, at the end when it's profit, you know, if you can type the deal and say, Hey, listen, I have an investor over here who's going to put up the capital to repair it. Uh, you, you own a property. Now we need to get this into a trust. Um, you know, we make you trustee of the trust. And then basically uh, we'll have this person come in and put up the renovation money. When we sell it, we'll do a split. You know, you're putting up the house. I'm bringing a person with the renovation money. We put it into a trust. We'll create something that, you know, talk about the split and we go from there. I mean, you can be creative and do stuff like that uh, where the homeowner who, you know, don't want to list it. Maybe it's a physical because they don't want to pay a realtor. There's not enough room where I need repairs. And you can do a joint venture with them. That's the only way I can see it, you know, being creative on a no money down. But you have to be sophisticated to know how to structure those type of deals. So if you're new and you're coming into the business, it's, it's pretty tough without the knowledge of, of how to structure these um, those type of deals. So one person wants to look for some kind of strategic partner that can bring capital to the deal where they could bring other services, whether it's the deal managing the rehab. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just like the note business, right? You have people who don't have money to get started, but they're intrigued by it. They, they want to get in. You know, they come provide services and they don't have the capital and, and create, you know, some type of joint venture partnership and provide service to, to make income. So it's the same thing. You know, if you're looking to get started in a business, if you knew, you could just, you know, get as much knowledge as you can and put it into action by providing service. <clears throat> Well, let's get into a little bit of that, uh, the note side of it, since you brought that up and how you acquired that many loans over the years and how you got started. I mean, where did you first get introduced <laughs> into what a mortgage note was or even, you know, the opportunity that you were able to buy them as an investor? Yeah. I mean, everybody gets into the note business by accident, right? That's the, um, <laughs> that's the biggest thing. So, I mean, it's true. I mean, I actually, uh, had a paralegal support company doing short sales for attorneys. Attorney just back in 2009, you know, had f four feet tall full of fouls all over the office and was very unorganized, not speaking bad about attorneys, but that's what, what I saw when I went to attorney's office and I would say, Hey, listen, you know, what if you had somebody help you process those, those short sales, you know, I have a paralegal support company and we can help you do that. So by doing that after a couple of hundred files, um, you know, I ran into a negotiator who said, Hey, 
we can't do a short sell on this, but we'll be willing to sell you the note. And I was like, what, what the hell is that? He's like, well, we'll just assign everything over to you. You can continue the foreclosure process. Um, if you go through with this successfully, you own a property. If you're able to work it out, then the person just pay you. You can modify it for them. So I started to do some research and listened to a couple of webinars. I caught a few by um, Dave Van Horn and actually just took a trip to his office. And that's uh, Dave from PPR. And he was gracious enough to sit with me uh, for two hours, took me out to lunch, everything, and just told me all the business. And I was like, wow, this is weird. Like I come from a real estate world where people don't want to share information and knowledge. They want to keep yeah. everything to themselves. And he was just opening up and and telling me, um, you know, what he had available. Of course, he had a course for sale. And I didn't want to buy the course. I wanted to look for a city of Chicago with a map of Detroit, right? I didn't want to pay. Um, and I kind of came back and tried to do it all on my own and try to figure it out. And I was like, you know what? Just bite the bullet and uh, and buy this course. It was something like five Gs, whatever it was. So, you know, pay for the course and it was definitely well worth it. I mean, wow, it was so much information in there and then they had the calls and everything else. And that's how we connected yeah. um, through that same thing and, you know, started to take action and uh, put my own capital up buying loans. And after the first eight loans, I was a believer. I was like laptop, cell phone. You know, great returns. You know, you're helping homeowners stay in the house. It was the best, and still is to me, the best investment uh, strategy in the universe, right? And I'm um, just connecting with the right people. I mean, we've done a few trades, and you know, I, I think I made you a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> so Every, you know, everyone you know, shares, <laughs> shares in the pot, right? Everyone shares in the pot. So yeah, I mean, it's it's you know, you you had to believe to connect direct. And, you know, I made some direct connections also and, and through traveling the same circles, we've done a lot of great trades together and I made some great trades with other people. And that kind of helped me scale to the next level, um, you know, being creative uh, with your buyers also, with your with your sellers also. Um, I've done trades where sellers know I'm, I'm able to execute with the capital and, you know, I've done pre-trades that made me successful. And um, yeah, man, it's it's been a, it's been a journey. It's not easy, though. It's not easy. Uh, because when you are a seller of notes, you know, everyone wants uh, everything to be perfect and it's not always perfect. And what we did different that we saw was avoiding the marketplace was, uh, you know, to add value down the line is we actually would never sell a foul unless we had complete collateral. Got it. Where a lot of sellers were just selling stuff. And, you know, there's some people who, who haven't gotten, who didn't receive collateral to this day from loans they purchased five years ago. They were so, selling stuff and they didn't even have it, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we saw that and we was like, wow, we had to do something different. And we pride ourselves on selling a file, you know, with, with complete collateral. And then we would sell um, all of the loans that had the highest value, all of the full equity loans, because we, we purchased seconds. So, you know, people, when they invest into seconds, they was like, oh, I want to get the best, highest quality. So we would sell all that stuff and keep what people would say was the junk. And we kind of learned um, the business by working the junk and, uh, and found value in that. So yeah, the note business is awesome and I love it. Just give us a, you know, the highlights. What is the note business, right? I mean, what were you actually buying? Give it, you know, clarity around, you know, what it, what it is. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, you know, where you can actually, it's investing in debt, right? But this is like a high end collection uh, because it's, it's the house is secured. Uh, the collateral is, is the property. And if the borrower don't pay, you know, you can take the property you um, know, our model is, is if we foreclose, we fail. We always want to work something out with the borrower and keep them in the house. I think that's the best exit strategy is through the borrower. 
um, you know, just from my KPIs and everything I look at, my, most of our successful uh, returns have been working with the bar. So we kind of pride ourselves on on staying on that. Um, but yeah, it's you can actually uh, when we came into the space, pricing was great, and I believe it's shifting back into a buyer's market now. There's a lot more trades coming out than what it used to be, but uh, we were able to get and still able to get loans at a discount and basically share our discount with the homeowner. That's the greatest feeling, man, when you actually can add value down the line, keep the homeowner in the house, share your discount with them and make a profit. So we were very excited about that. So if you just look at it, you know, you're buying um, debt for, you know, percentage of a dollar and you're able to rework it and, and recapitalize off that. So um, if we would make a trade, our, our goal would be to recapitalize a certain percentage of our spend um, pay down some of our principal back to our investors and then, you know, work the debt from there. And um, yeah, I mean, performing notes, non-performing notes, I would definitely say now if you get into the space, you know, starting off on a performing side is, is more regulated than it was before. So starting off on a performing side may be a little bit better. Uh, if you're new, of course, a little bit more expensive, but you can see the cash flow right away. I mean, if you have time in your hands, is it especially second mortgage, this is, it's a business. <laughs> you gotta like throw your sleeves up and get busy. Uh, you know, managing vendors, it's a lot, it's a lot of work. I mean, I love real estate though, so I have a passion for it. So it's not really work to me, I'm obsessed with it. So anything that you obsessed about and have a passion about, it, it's not work. It becomes, you know, something that you enjoy doing, you know? So for those that um, wanna be more passive and maybe they even have retirement accounts, out there that are not being used or just in the stock market, what are their options they can do? Well, yeah, they could ride the coattails of other people who are out there doing it successfully, uh, whether they have a joint venture structure or a fund uh, where they can actually invest money into and, and collateralize against all the assets in the fund. And that gives uh, the fund a capital partner to be able to go out and, and buy those assets direct from the banks or brokers or whatever the sources are. Uh, but yeah, I mean, still, if you're passive, you want to learn about the business. So you definitely know what you're investing in and kind of learn about the operator. You know, you're not just dealing with somebody who's selling training courses and really not active in a business. You know, because there's a lot of people out here that are not real. <laughs> you know, they're yeah. internet superstars, but behind the scenes, they're not actively rehabbing. They're not, they're not buying notes. They're not doing anything. They just, you know, provide lip service. That's it. So uh, when you say a fund, you know, they can invest in a fund with their retirement accounts. What What, what is a fund? Yeah, it's an investment vehicle. Uh, well, certain ones you have accredited, which our structure set up accredited only. When we first started, uh, and I'll be honest, I really wasn't confident that I would be able to raise millions of dollars only because of the people that was in my circle. So the first fund I set up was for non-accredited and accredited and it was like friends and family that i went to and raised money from cousins and aunts and everybody else and it was a small fund it was like two million dollars and i was like wow i'm never going to raise this money and yeah. that was because i wasn't in the right circle i wasn't putting myself around the right people um and basically um you know after a while once you uh you understand the business and you actually talking about things you're doing and you're talking about the returns you're making and you're able to prove these things you know, people will gravitate towards you and, you know, want to go alongside for the ride. Not everyone wants to be active. Um, you know, if you can prove, uh, you know, the things that you say you're doing and, and you can provide some valid um, real deal case studies and, um, you know, investors, you know, are attracted to that. And some people want to be passive. Some people 
They want to be like some people want to diversify. Like I have active real estate investors that invest passively with me and they out flipping properties and doing commercial deals because they're diversifying. It just doesn't have to be someone who's just passive and all they do is put money passively. They could just be diversifying into different funds. But yeah, I mean, you have, we deal with the credit investors nowadays and um, our fund really focused on real property local uh, to me in New Jersey, where I've been investing in the last 20 years and uh, notes nationwide. Um, and we buy tax liens also, which essentially converts them into real property. And we would either uh, rehab to rent or rehab to uh, to sell. Cool. And if someone who's listening would like to set up a fund or go out there and raise capital so they can start purchasing their own portfolio of loans, you know, what does that process look like? How they how do they do that? Well, I, w- I would say first learn how to be a parent because the fund is like a child. <laughs> that would be the first piece of advice. It's not easy, man. It's a whole different business. I mean, raising capital is um, a skill that only most people really, really have. Uh, most people are really, really good at it where they can raise a ton of money, but then they're not the active person where they can find deal flow, right? And then it's the opposite. Most people can find deal flow, but they suck at raising money. So it's really a full-time business. And and I would say in, in order to uh, master the skill is stay around people who master money, who, who raise money and, and constantly uh, get information from them and, and create accountability calls with them. Get a coach, really. Uh, you know, and it's really just be who you are and do what you say you're going to do. That's really the bottom line um, that I can tell you. Everything else is finding a competent SEC attorney who can tell you the regulations and, and what you need to do to be compliant and educate you along the process on how the PPM is set up and what needs to be in there, what doesn't need to be in there. Um, you know, teach the different things that you should know, how your website should be set up, what it should say. All that can go through an SEC attorney, but just grassroots core things that you need to know is really, you know, doing what you say you do and 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 people will genuinely be attracted to that, right? So, yeah. you know, most of the people I raise capital from are people who, you know, see me in action and people who I've had relationships with for years, you know? So you set, you, uh, you had a lawyer set this up for you? Is that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my first fund cost me about 25,000, maybe a little bit more than that. But as you go along, you know, it gets cheaper and cheaper because, you know, it's pretty much the same thing. You're just updating it, so on and so forth. But yeah, I would definitely say get with the SEC attorney. There's so many companies out here that said, oh, you can set up your private placement. Okay. We can help you raise money too. You know, well, we just want 70% and we'll give you 30. Um, just speak with an SEC attorney. Don't be cheap and get templates offline and try to go that route. Got it. I'm telling you, it doesn't work. What are, what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned from investing in the no business? Wow, due diligence is very important. Um, I would say, and relationships with with sellers, um, but due diligence is first and foremost. Really, really, really learning, you know, how to do due diligence. There's so much um, due diligence when it comes to the note business. It's not only due diligence on the borrower, not only due diligence on the asset, on the on the property, but it's due diligence on the collateral also. Understanding what that's about. Um, you know, you may get a foul and you may have everything there, maybe a lost note affidavit and you may have, you know, missing assignment that you got to go back for. And the bank may say, hey, well, we're not going to do it because you have a lost note affidavit or certain things that you learn as you go along. 
um, and understanding that, you know, what an exception report is, you know, earlier on, I would buy notes and I would never ask the sellers to provide me with an exception report. That's basically saying, hey, just proof up what your collateral look like and let me see what you're missing because that goes into pricing. If you're missing stuff that's still trailing, I mean, we're not going to get it until six months after the sale. You know, I have to discount the price for that. So really understanding how to do due diligence on a full package, um, I would say is very very important because that really is can make or break you so do you guys do that all internally or do you outsource any part of that well when we first started we did everything internally uh, we outsourced probably i would say 75 percent of everything now what i've learned is learning how to manage the data is always better than managing people you know <laughs> you know it's just it's tough i mean if you have a good team that's one thing um starting off you know, we didn't know, we didn't know, right? So we ordered the collateral files in house. We recorded the assignments. We did all the due diligence. We did everything. Um, you know, well, it was a shit show. Well, yeah, pretty <laughs> it much. It was a shit show much. back I then. Didn't, I didn't know we can curse on this, but yeah. <laughs> now <laughs> That's I know. Literally, what it was, man. I, I remember back then. You know, you're you're spending your whole day trying to figure out how to put a system around finding stuff that's missing in in collateral files, right? Yep. All you had to do was hire a custodian. And have them audit the freaking file for 25 bucks and give you a report and say what's missing and then tell you they can cure it and they'll go do all of that stuff and uh yeah it was a bunch of waste of time but really um i'm grateful for that because i learned the process for yeah. everything so now when i communicate with my vendors i know if they really not you know because i've done the process and i know if they pull up my leg so it was good that we went through that but learning how to manage your data is important and bringing everything into one system uh, when you're doing due diligence and using your scrapers and all that stuff kind of help you. Um, it's still a human error that, I mean, human error that goes into that. And then you also still have to go through the whole process and manually look at stuff as well. It's just not all like scrapers and everything else. You just have to do manual due diligence. But I would say that's the biggest thing um, that one should focus on in a no business, due diligence. Cool. And I mean, after you do the due diligence and you do the purchase, uh, I mean, what are the next steps after that? It's more due diligence. It's post-closing <laughs> due diligence. Post-closing due diligence? <laughs> yeah, post-closing due diligence. I All mean, right. because you know, when you get the physical collateral file, because there's one thing that you get an exception report and you get copies and images, but when you get the physical collateral, I mean, you know, it's not always the same. You know, it could be a copy of the mortgage and it's not stamped that it was recorded. So now it's like, okay, wow, you know, what do I do with this? Like, so... Um, yeah, this is post due diligence. And then, um, you know, systems and processes is always important. And that's one thing um, my mentor told me in his business, um, you know, you need to be successful with the capital to buy the notes, the source where to buy the notes from and scalability. And that's one thing that we struggled with earlier on. Uh, we took on a very large pool. Uh, I would say still my largest trade to date. It was a thousand and something loans. And um, it took us a long time to really board it and go through the process because we really didn't have systems and processes built to manage like a thousand loans right off the back. I mean, a hundred, 150, yeah. you know, we were buying at the time and then we just purchased 10 times the amount and that just kind of burnt everybody out. It was like all over the place. And I was just higher and higher and higher and thinking if I filled the seats, I would get it done. <laughs> but it was just a waste of time because we had to do training, we had to do stuff and I just looked one day and I said, you know what? I got rid of probably 50% of the staff and said, okay, sis, we got a process map. Now we're going to build this thing as if it was a franchise. Everything, every 
department should have a process and then we slowed down we took probably i would say the next six months doing that um you know profits went down a little bit um and basically we got more organized and then once we were able to figure it out you know that was it you know from there cool now after people raise their capital due due diligence or i mean after they raise their capital i mean where are they finding loans these days to buy and how they go out there and find those sources their relationships everything is relationship driven um there's a lot of brokers who's who's controlling the market right now they're direct connect with banks and and all of the big sellers who's buying these collapse bonds and stuff they're actually dealing with the brokers to kind of put guys like you and me against each other to, to bid and, and overpay um it, it's hard i mean before you were able to go directly with them and have be exclusive right and say hey yeah. you know i met i am in or i met you over here you, you you promised me you would send me some loans i spoke to you 50 times and you know they're about to send you the tape and then boom, you'll see a trade come out from the broker. Like these were the loans they were supposed to give me. So it's just, you know, most people are going to try to get the highest and best price. So they will shop it through a broker or, um, you know, through another source. So um, making those connections directly to the bank. Uh, you know, we've done marketing campaigns to the banks. We scraped our, our assignment of mortgages and went down the chain and kind of did mail campaigns and picked yeah. up a few leads from that. And um, yeah, it's just, you know, being creative, that's really how you're going to, you know, find the assets. They're out there. You know, people are complaining. They're not putting in the work. They're not putting in the work. They're not making 40, 50, 100, 200 calls, you know, to try to find that source. They just, they do it for a couple of weeks and they go, oh, this doesn't work. So you have to be constant on the grind. That's cool. And where else on the note side, where, where can people go to, I mean, find mentors, coaching right now? I mean, how does someone get started? Yeah, I mean, there's so much more information online than, um, you know, when I got started, you can type in notes and you would rarely, you barely see, you know, a few people. Um, now you can type in mortgage notes and you'll see, you know, everybody <laughs> and their cousin and their sister. Have a, <laughs> no I mean, you know, it's, um, it's so much information out there that people can find. I mean, um, you know, we actually, we don't really promote it too much. We actually have, um, a note course that uh, I did masterminds and basically just got like the best of the best and and monetize it and, and put it out there. Like I don't have a website where it's for sale. I'm actually doing a, a note think tank thing now, uh, paying it forward to people who's been reaching out to me over the years. Hey, when are you coming back? When are you gonna do more education? So we created myself and another uh, fellow note investor, uh, Sherman Arnowitz. We actually created this note think tank.com thing. And that actually launches tomorrow It's a six week course we go through like the ins and out and, and teach people um there's no hand holding like we used to be like i used to do before it's just you know six weeks and basically you have the resources and we have like a facebook group for accountability and stuff like that and i know um you actually provide some some education as well and then you have martin side you have all these people out here where one can go and and find the education i would say you want to connect with someone who's active in the business not someone who's providing lip service <laughs> so who actually have a portfolio that they can show you and you know do some business yeah i agree they they at least have uh at least gone through a few hundred loans at, at minimum oh for I sure mean, they have, have to have the experience for sure. all right cool let's um let's roll into the 250 plus rehab properties i mean you know for most people that's not obtainable so how does you know how did how that i mean give me more insight into how that started like people are just like trying to get off ground zero you're at 250 plus 
I mean, let's go through how someone does that. Yeah, I mean, so that's, you know, and I'm not bragging or anything. That's nothing, Joe. I mean, I'm in, and those are just gut rehabs, like flips. That's not, yeah. that doesn't include rentals in any way. Okay. That number is way more, but I mean, it doesn't matter, 150, whatever. Uh, I'm in, in masterminds with guys who do that in a, in a year. And that's so, uh, the collective genius? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, these guys are beasts. They're like, <laughs> in a year. Like, and, and that's one of the reasons why I joined. Like, what type of systems and processes do they have in place to be able to handle and manage that construction and everything else? So um, the reason I mentioned 250 gut rehabs, because that's different from putting lipstick on a pig and selling yeah. it. You know, most people will say, okay, I'm just going to throw 15, 20 grand, boom, turn it over, make like a $35,000 profit. That's cool. Um, but it takes a lot more to gut a property down to the beam, do an addition. And it's a longer process, more extensive. Um, they probably can do three or four properties by the time I do one, right? Um, on the same budget. I mean, my average rehab budget is like $100,000, you know, on a property. So um, if these guys are doing quick $15,000, $20,000 rehabs, you get, you get it. Um, so, you know, being able to go and, and, and do that, it takes a lot of discipline. It definitely takes processes and systems. And I didn't have that in place in the beginning and I was going crazy. Uh, but after you kind of do the same thing over and over again, it becomes a cookie cutter. You learn how to negotiate, um, you know, with the vendors who's selling you the, the product, the cabinets and everything else. And you get stuff wholesale cheaper to increase your profits. And you kind of have different vendors that you can contractors, general contractors that, you know, you can rely on, but always you have to watch them also. Um, and you just keep them accountable. Like I'm, I'm not like a guy who likes to sit in the office all day and, and look at the computer and, and talk on the phone. I need to be out in the field. I need to be in the action. I need to be out motivating guys, pushing it. I need to make sure that the investor capital is actually being, you know, put to work and making sure that these projects are finishing on time, that these houses get rented. Because at the end, I'm the one that's accountable. Like yep. contractors are not accountable. So, um, and I like being out there. So it's a lot of work, man. It, it's really building a team of people that you can rely on and count on. And it's really like your family, really, how I look at it. Like now, um, you know, we're going through this whole COVID thing. We're still rehabbing. What I did was, and I was telling you a little bit earlier, we transitioned to uh, the houses that we were like 75% uh, or more complete which are like four projects. I think like only like nine rehabs going on right now. So we said, like, okay, those five projects where we're, we can only get to a certain level where we need inspections. So we'll get them up to that level. And because the, the cities are shut down, we got to stop and we'll push everybody to stuff that it's, we want any final inspections on. So we kind of shifted over to that, which is four properties that I'm, um, hopefully I'll be finishing another 12 days, uh, those properties. And then once the townships open back up and we can move forward, we can move back to the other five that I'm working on. But yeah, it's just putting together a team and, and pushing through. Well, let's go into sourcing all those deals. I mean, that's a lot of deals to find. Where did you get them from? <laughs> well, it's the relationships. Again, you know, you've been in business for 20 years. Everyone knows you do real estate. Um, you connect with the wholesalers. You know, people in your family give you properties. Realtors will bring you properties. Um, you know, you can get property REOs from the banks, tax liens. Uh, vacant properties. There's so many different ways you can source. And actually, um, at the moment, I'm working on something uh, with two other individuals. We work on a lead management, um, a lead management process to kind of you know generate more leads from what I believe is going to be a, a storm soon from mom and pop investors looking for liquidity. 
So we're actually in the final stages of putting together a campaign to launch that. And some of the stuff that I learned from the Collective Genius and some things that some of the members showed me there, um, you know, how they're generating leads. We're going to put that into action and roll that out. So by the time Q4 come and there's an abundance of uh, opportunity out there, we'll be able to capitalize on that. So what is tax sales, tax liens, and where does someone, you know, go to find out about that information in their area? Yeah, your local municipality will have information on that. So every year the uh, tax office do a tax sale. The tax sales that I go to are auctions. They're, they're a little bit different. It's a special tax auction and they're primarily done on vacant properties. So you want to go to the uh, township in your area and say, hey, listen, you guys do tax sales on vacant properties. Um, and the reason I do that is because Jersey has a fast track law where you can foreclose in, in you know less than six months if the property is vacant. And you can even do an in-rim or in-personum foreclosure. In-rim is a faster process, uh, but it can be challenged more on, and be redeemed. In-personum is a full-fledged foreclosure uh, where probably you know 5% it could be redeemed, if that. Um, but you know you got to hire competent attorneys that actually go through the process. Actually, in the townships that I'm buying the liens, I find out who's the attorney representing them when they foreclose and then create a relationship with that attorney who already know the people in the city and then have that attorney do some work for me. So, um, and then I learned organically from those attorneys, you know, what are the rules, what are the laws and, you know, how do I avoid the title raiders, the people who's trying to like, you know, go behind my back and negotiate with the sellers and give them money to redeem me out. So it's a lot that you have to be aware of, but the vacant properties are less likely to be redeemed and, you know, they've dilapidated and, um, and uh, basically uh, they need work. And a lot of people in the special tax lanes in a certain municipalities that I'm in, they require you to rehab the property and get a seal before you sell it. You just can't buy the lien and assign it and make money. You actually have to finish the rehab. Um, or they, if you don't finish it in a timely manner, they take the property back from you. So you so really- the county keeping everybody accountable to improving the neighborhoods. Absolutely, putting the property back on a tax roll, creating more income revitalizing the area and these are areas that i grew up in so you know it makes me feel good it gives me the feeling of importance to be able to go back in and, and add value and make a change like one area i think i purchased like six properties on one block so i was able to change you know the entire block yeah. by just renovating those six properties you know and so how are you funding these acquisitions at the tax sales and from the brokers currently yeah i mean it's through strategic partnerships that i have um, you know, I have my fund and I also have strategic partnerships. I have some of my own capital. This is a mixture of different things. That's good. And so after you buy a property, typically what are the steps you go through to prepare for the whole entire rehab? Yeah, I mean, I'll, most of that is done before I mean, I okay. bought a property. We have that mapped out. And, um, you know, if you need architect joins, you know, we go through the demolition phase first. We get the permits. I kind of learned the first phase of my permits is demo window siding roof you know anything exterior and then if i need drawings of course that's going to take a long time so i'll start off with what i need to get the property gutted to get the architect in there to check the structural structure of it see if it needs any um any architectural drawings and at the same time we're doing roofing siding windows exterior stuff so by the time we get the permits approved for the inside we just go frame everything up do all the rough work and pretty much you know go from there um it's systematic really um you, so what you know, tools are you using or what tools are you using to manage the contractor in these projects right now? Oh, Podio. I use Podio. Okay. Um, you know, with different apps and stuff in there. Some people use, um, what's the other one? Basecamp. 
Uh, some it. people use Basecamp, but we use Podio. Any workflow system, um, you know, whether it's Podio, whether it's Salesforce, whatever it is, there's a bunch of them out there. As long as you have a workflow uh, app in there that will, you know, if this, then that, you know, type of setup, uh, make a push out alerts to your contractors and stuff like that. So, uh, so you that, did you custom build that out? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you have to custom build that out. Yeah. And, and you use that for all your contracts and everything with the contractor. All the yeah, it's a mixture. Everything. It's a mixture. Sometimes contractors have their own contracts. We'll bring it in. You know, we'll copy their language and push it back out to them so we can make it digital, speed up the process a little bit. And uh, we're still working on converting that over um, to digital. We actually just started using the Podio system uh, recently. Uh, up until then, we were using Excel Got it. and, you know, task systems to help us keep it going along but uh since i joined cdtg a lot of those guys are, is system are system driven so i'm just trying to you know adapt those same processes in order to uh, be able to scale by having anything process and track the kpis better and once trying to step up the game yeah i mean because you know we use different <laughs> systems like i use that folio for my rental portfolio and a whole bunch of stuff so we have a bunch of different systems so we're trying to pull everything into one um one uh one platform so we can manage it better well being in the uh you know rehab business i always hear the most complaints about contractors right i mean that's just a make or break the deal majority of the time right uh usually it comes down to they don't show up the draws are too ahead um or it was quoted at a price and end up being twice the you know twice what it was quoted I mean, tell me what your problems have been and how do you resolve them going forward? Yeah, I'm very active in my rehabs. Um, you know, any one of my GCs would tell you I'm, I'm in the field. I'm uh, very active. Uh, I'm there when a demo is done, looking at the damages, you know, trying to see. I've been doing this for 20 years, so it's not that I know everything, but I know enough to know if a contractor is trying to get over on me. And most of the contractors that I deal with, I have relationships with for a while. So, you know, there are no upfront deposits. Um, you know, they have credit with vendors that they deal with, so they don't need money from materials. They can just put it on their on their account. Um, and I really try to deal with contractors who have accounts, right? I don't want to deal yeah. with, hey, I need money to buy materials, but you're not the contractor <laughs> I can deal with. So, um, and they understand how things work. You know, you got to go through a phase, we get an inspection, we get a draw, and they kind of work with me. So those are the type of relationships that I have to kind of make it go smooth. Now, everything is not perfect. I, I do run into challenges and, you know, you have human beings, right? Who, you know, get a little greedy sometime and, you know, they push, you got to push back. And I mean, it's all about negotiation. Everything is sales. So I get it. You know, they want to sell more to get more money to do their thing. And we're always trying to cut costs to, to make more profit. So you got to, you know, meet them in the What's middle of summer. What's some important language to put in a contract that you use with your contractors that helps protect you? A performance contract is always good. So if you're going to give me a contract, give me the scope of work and you're going to say, all right, this is a, you know, $50,000 contract. Okay. So what are you doing? How long is it going to take? Oh, it's going to take me four weeks. Okay. So let's break down exactly what you're going to be doing every single week. Okay, good. Now let's put a dollar, a cost to that. Okay, now good. Now this is what I'm going to be looking for. Uh, the GC is going to look for when inspection come out. And if you're 100 percent done, you get 100 percent of the draw. If you're 80 percent done, you get 80 percent. And then you do it, and then they see as you're going through that process. Oh, this guy is serious. He's actually sticking to what we have in writing. Versus 
the contract is fifty thousand. Here's twenty five thousand up front. Twenty five thousand you finish, or here's ten thousand, or you know you do the first phase and I give you this. Like it has to be broken down into a week because most contractors pay the guys every week, and not speaking bad about any contractors, but most contractors commingle the funds and they work in this project, work on that project. They guys get paid every week, so if you give them a a bunch of money up front, it's going to be tough for them to manage, especially if they do multiple projects. So. Um, you know, it's making sure that you set them up so they can pay their guys and they can eat too. And as long as they're performing on the contract, they should be good. Good. What what happens if they're over time or over budget? Well, if they if they move a little bit further and we had planned it out that this is was the draw every week, this is where we at. So they just move a little forward to make the job less for the next week. So we come into an agreement and say, hey, we're going to do twelve five a week if you have ABC done, but then I have two weeks worth of work done, you know, we may work something out where we give a little bit more, but you know, we may just give them just that joy. It all depends on who the contract is and how far they ahead, you know? All right. Well, that sounds good. So we're getting close to wrapping up here. What, uh, after you're done doing the rehab, how are you guys selling the properties? Oh, we put it on the market. The market is the best place because you get more exposure. Um, you know, the realtor is dealing with realtors who know how to market, not just putting it on MLS, who know how to go into the social media, who know how to put it out there for you is really important. So we have realtors we deal with, um, we sell, uh, the high end flips. We have realtors that we deal with when we sell the low end flips, different realtors, different brokerages. Um, and if we sell in rentals, we have different realtors that we deal with realtors that have a, a, a pool of buyers that want cash flow rental property. So, um, you know, just finding a competent rent, uh, realtor in your area that knows the market is very important. So that's really, you know, the easy part for us is just sourcing that realtor, um, seeing what, what value they've added and, and making that connection and pretty much going from there. So much of your conversation today has been around relationships, huh? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I that's mean, what raising about. capital, lawyers, brokers, everything. I mean, where this is a relationship you... business, man. This yeah. is a relationship business, the people business. And if you think that you're going to come into this business and it's going to be me, 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 you're not going to get anywhere. You know, it's a we business, is a people business. Um, you know, it's all about relationships. Your network is your net worth as they say, you know? Yeah. I, I, you, you learn that as you get older and wiser, right? For sure. <laughs> <laughs> just get out and network. The theme is you grow up learning in your twenties. You are not quite as smart or you go through the life lessons, trying to find yourself in your thirties. You start getting mature. You learned a lot in your twenties. Hopefully you made more of your failures. And I think you grow exponentially from that point And as you get older, right. And the more people, you know, yeah, as who you surround yourself with, right? So as I say, if you want to fly with the eagles, don't swim with the ducks. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate you getting on today. And uh, if you know, what is the best way you like for people to get a hold of you? Any anywhere particular? Oh, sure. I mean, you can email me. Um, you know, you can go to my website, send an email there, energycapitalfund.com, go to the contact us page, you know, I'll get the email and follow with you. You can follow me on Instagram. Uh, on Tuesdays, I do a talk on Tuesday session for people who want to learn more about real estate mortgage notes, come up for about a half an hour and chop it up. And yeah, I'm on Facebook. Yeah. Dude, awesome. I, <laughs> I appreciate getting on today. We did take a whole hour here and I 
appreciate your time and hope you're enjoying the rest of this uh, lockdown with your family. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I appreciate you having me on, man. I really appreciate it. You're doing good out here, man. Keep it going. Keep it going. Thank you. Talk to you shortly. Thanks for listening to The Joe Roberts Show. Take these tips and insights that you can use to help grow your own personal wealth and share them with a friend that could also benefit. Don't miss a single episode or updates. Subscribe to our email list at joerobert.com. And as always, keep pushing yourself towards a more impactful life. The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show.